Well, let's just pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we open his word. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the wonderful music today and for the new life that we have among us, for the visitors and guests that have come back and those that are visiting today. Bless us as we open your word now, in Christ's name, amen. So we've been in a series here at the church, for those of you visiting, on the book of Nehemiah, and we're now in chapter 11. Jerusalem had been a ghost town for many, many years, but God had put in the heart of Nehemiah to actually rebuild the wall. The temple had been rebuilt. The the civil and spiritual laws and order had been established, Um, but there was a big problem, and this problem is what we're going to deal with today. The problem was everything was put in place, but there basically were no people in the city. It's like having a school with no students. It's like, you know, having a plane with no passengers. Um, And the uh, burden then fell on Nehemiah to fill the holy city with holy people. So let's pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 11, and we'll look at verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 11, and we will look there at verse 1. Now, I said that there was nobody there, but the text says something a little differently. It says, now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. But leaders without people to follow them, that's a big problem. Have you ever got a bunch of leaders together with nothing to do? Uh, This is a problem. So, uh, and have you heard the expression, he who leads with no one following is merely taking a walk? Well, this is what was happening. He had all the leaders there, but there was nobody following them. And what was the purpose of Jerusalem anyway? What was the purpose of that city? Thank you for that feedback. Appreciate that. What was the purpose of this city? All nations, Jeremiah 3.17, all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. The whole purpose of Jerusalem was as a witness to how many people? All nations, not just the Jews. Uh, The religion in the Old Testament was not just for Jews. It was supposed to be for everyone. And the word Jew meant praise. And and, and they were supposed to be such a positive, happy people that everybody wanted to figure out what was happening. Of course, that had gone south a bit. That's why they were in captivity. But now they were coming back. And Nehemiah had this job. What could he do then to fill up the city? Look at the rest of verse 1. Now the leaders of the people dwell at Jerusalem. The rest of people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. And nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. So here was his idea. The way to fill up the city was we would just cast lots among the people and say, Okay, I know you like your house. But it's time for you now to move to Jerusalem. (laughs) Just pack it up and move to Jerusalem. How many think that sounds like a good plan? So he cast lots. And he, you might say, instituted a voluntary draft. Voluntary draft, as one author put it. Now, by the way, voluntary draft, does that sound like an oxymoron? By the way, what's an oxymoron? Yeah, actually the word oxy means sharp and moron means dull. Oxy, moron, a sharp, dull person. You know, this is that's the very meaning of that. You know, sort of like 
Well, we have a small crowd here today. <laughs> it's not a crowd at all. Or what about old news or open secret <laughs> or deafening silence or, you know, you look awfully beautiful. <laughs> or you're pretty ugly. You're, you know, this is bad. <laughs> or the one I heard this morning was fresh frozen food. Uh, these are oxymorons, as is this idea of voluntary draft. But notice, it is exactly what it was as you read verse 2. The people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So here they were, they were drafted, but then they could refuse. And so they were out, they were drafting different people. We like uh, Fiditas and his family to come, and they said, no, thank you. We're doing fine here in our wonderful apartment. There's nothing that could ever be better than that in the city of Jerusalem. We're not going. So they said, okay, we're moving on to the Garcias, and we're moving on to whoever's next. And they would cast these lots, and then they could say, yes, I'm going, or they could refuse. Now, you might think this is a small thing, but I think this is a very important concept. How many think this is a very important concept? This is the idea, this is the idea that a friend and I were talking about the other day, of the right to choose. Right? We have predestined you to go to Jerusalem. But you can choose not to go there. We have chosen that you can go, but you don't have to go. And isn't that what God has done? Hasn't he predestined all of us to salvation? Hasn't he chosen all of us in Christ to be accepted in the beloved? But can we refuse it? And so he comes to all of us and he says, look, I freely offer this to you. I want you to come. I want you to come to Jerusalem. You know, God is a lot like Nehemiah. He wants people not to come maybe to Jerusalem, physically speaking now, but to the new Jerusalem. Would you agree? And he wants everybody there. Not just 10%, everybody. <laughs> he does everything he can to make the city appealing. He doesn't, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't hide its purpose. Remember the city of Nehemiah? What was the purpose of, of the city in Nehemiah's time? Remember all the gates? The sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the water gate, the mountain gate, the fountain gate, rather, the uh, horse gate, the inspection gate, the golden gate. All of those gates were the comprehensive plan of salvation. You accept Christ as the Lamb, and then you become fishers of men, the fish gate. And you tell people the old past, the old gate. And you help them get through the shadow of the valley gate. And you help them get rid of the trash in their life, the dung gate. And you help them be refreshed by the Holy Spirit, the fountain gate. And you help them inspect their lives, the inspection gate. So they'll be ready to go through the golden gate when He comes again to receive them, right? And so this is the whole idea of the city. He, he has all these gates. He has this whole plan of salvation that he offers. And this was typologically shown in that old city. And by the way, did he in fact voluntarily come himself from heaven? Did he willingly do that or did God have to twist his arm? You go pick them up. No, he wanted to come. He died. He lived. He rose. He knocks at doors. I, if I be lifted up, will draw all to me. He does everything he can to entice people to want to come to the city. He's not willing that 
any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everyone to change their mind. He doesn't say, well, this one group, there's no hope for them, forget them. No, he doesn't do that. Everyone. Can you say hallelujah about that? He has predestined all to salvation, and he provides all the support needed should one choose. He says, I will write my law in your heart. I will write it on your mind. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You won't have to tell anyone about it. Everyone will eventually know. Everyone will know of my new covenant I have established with you to blot out your sins and remember your transgressions no more. And I will do it. I will do it. I not only invite you, but I pay the plane ticket there. And I help you all the way there. My biddings are enablings. Amen. Wow. And by the way, I want you to be excited because it's a joyful commitment. I'll write things. I'll talk about myself as the bridegroom. <laughs> Amen. Amen. People are always trying to get the disciples to be upset. No, how can we be upset when the bridegroom is with us? And by the way, he's going back and we want to go with him. We want to go with him. Amen. That's the whole idea. How many of you are excited when you got married? Amen. All right. My wife actually raised her hand. Did you see that? Is that, <laughs> is that caught on the cameras? Hallelujah. <laughs> And, you know, my wife was very excited. I remember that the day before we got married, she was out going to get her hair fixed or something. You were getting something fixed. And uh, not fixed. Uh, <laughs> see, that's it. That's the end of a very happy marriage right there. Uh, so she was out. She was traveling to get something done. I think it was, do you remember what it was? And I knew where she was because her horn, every time she turned left, it would honk. It was an old car. And when she turned left... And I think she told me, you know, I was trying to come back turning right the whole way so you wouldn't know where I was. And, um, um, but, you know, she was excited. She wanted to get things ready. I heard about another guy. He was getting married, and he's just like, he just was so excited that he jumped down the stairs and he ripped his pants. And it was just before the wedding, and they had to sew them all together. Because when we get excited about things, we're, we're exuberant, we have energy. I don't know if those illustrations worked, but how many of you understand what I was trying to say? So... The idea of being invited is like being invited to a wedding. And he goes, look, this is not like, how many of you like to go to weddings? Don't raise your hands, man, if you, don't give me that look. How many of you like to go to weddings? There's good food, there's good fellowship, and they're coming because they're coming to rejoice in that commitment. Now, how many of you think you should probably make sure of who you're getting married and understand a about that person before you get married. You should have some premarital counseling. How many think you should figure out everything you can, or everything, so there's no surprises? What do you think? Uh, this is exactly what Nehemiah was saying as well. This is a voluntary commitment, but I want you to understand what that means. So don't just, don't just say, yeah, oh yeah, I, I, the, 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 you know, the, the lot fell on me, I'm going. Don't do that. Check it out and then make a willful choice. And God always does this. He front loads. He front loads everything. Everything's up front. You know? They understand who they are choosing and what they are choosing. They understand all of this before they sign on the dotted line. But when they do, what happens? Verse 2, the people blessed all the men 
who were willingly who were, who who willingly offered themselves. So they blessed them. They said, "Wow!" They congratulated them. They praised them. They saluted them. Kind of like a wedding reception. Many are called, however, but the Bible says few are they that are choosing. In this case, it was true in Nehemiah as well. As well. But remember, God is a city he desires to populate. And he has chosen you to be in that city. Look at that person next to you and say, he has chosen you to be in that city. Go ahead, look at that person. If you're not next to someone, move next to someone. He has chosen you to be in that city. Number two, though, the city has rules. The city has regulations. It has requirements that are meant, when rightly understood, to lead to exquisite happiness and joy. Do you remember the story of Nehemiah up till now? They didn't just let anything go. Were there rules? Were there regulations? Were there people that needed to be called out for things that were doing that were wrong? Yes. And so all of those things were in place, and those were all known before the invitation was given, and you had to choose those before the game. This is why, you know, um, before you get into the military... They tell you, you know, it's pretty hard to get out of the military. Here's what we're going to be expecting of you. And you don't just go in and out. How many understand what I'm talking about? And how many think this might be good with employees, if you have an organization? To clearly spell out what the expectations are, and then say, would you like to serve? And then they voluntarily say, how many think this might be good for the church? This happens before someone's baptized, yes or no. I mean, I think it might even be good for a school <laughs> to put it in the handbook. Everything's front-loaded, front-loaded, so you can never say, oh, that's, uh, that's too restrictive. No, 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 no. You already knew all about those things, yes or no. And, 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 and the better you do at that, then the better things are going to be going forward. And by the way, you can, you can check out the prodigal son checked out. Nobody followed him to the far country. They prayed for him. But then when he decided to come back, it was on the basis of understanding what was expected. Except, isn't this correct? And so this is not just a small principle we're seeing here in Nehemiah chapter 11, 1 and 2. It actually is crucial if we're going to have joy in the city. But before we move on, you, you must realize that not only does he want you to come to the city, that he has rules and regulations and requirements that are meant when rightly understood to bring ex exquisite happiness and joy, you know, um, that he also is not asking you to come to a city where you have nothing to do. Okay, so when you choose his invitation, and you accept his invitation, it's not just for you, it's also for him. Have you ever considered the fact that God actually needs you in heaven? He wants you in heaven. He needs you in heaven because you're giving a testimony to his glory and grace. There's been this, this evil power that's tried to make him look bad. <laughs> and he needs someone to come to his aid to, test him, to, to, to actually testify for him. To say, look, I, I, I've been treated well. God has done everything for me. And I want to testify forever about what he's done. Amen. I'm like the woman at the well. She needed to draw that 
I need you to draw this water for me. And God needs you. Have you ever thought about that? He wants you. He needs you in heaven. If you're missing, no one else is going to take your place. But when you get there, are you going to have something to do? When people got to Jerusalem, would they have something to do? When they get to the new Jerusalem, would they have something to do? I like this from Youth Instructor, page 23, uh, April 23, 1912, old journal for young people. There is no happiness, no peace or joy in a professed believer whose whole soul is not enlisted in the work the Lord has given him to do. This is not something you do after you're out of school. It's something you do when you're in school. It's not something you do after you get out of this world. It's something you do in this world. It's not something you do when you get to the city. It's something you do in this city. Amen? Amen. Just seeing if you're still with me. So what was it he is asking them to do? Look at verse 9. He needed, it says there, some valiant men. How many think today we need valiant men? In the church of God. Valiant men. What would, be a, what would be a valiant man? A strong person. A courageous person. Do we need strong, courageous men in the church today? Number two. He needed administrators. Verse 9. Sinua was second over the city. There was the first and then the second. Does he need CEO types? Does he need COO type people that can organize other? Yes. He needs these gifts. Look at verse 11. He needed priests to work in the temple. Priests were not wimps. When you went to the temple back then, you had to do sacrifices. That means you had to lift sacrifices. You had to get them ready and you busy all day. You could become a priest when you were like 18 or 20. You you retired when you were 50 because you physically could not do the work anymore. How many think we need robust, strong, healthy men? Amen. <laughs> All right. I don't hear a lot of women saying amen, but they should be. So, priest to work in the temple. Verse number, uh, the fourth example, verse 11. Someone to lead the house of God. Someone to figure out what's happening for prayer meeting. What's happening for midweek service. What's happening for Friday night. What's happening for Sabbath school. What's happening for revival and reformation. What's happening. What's the programming. How many think we need those kind of people? All right, I guess I look for another job here. But the house of God, house of God, this is not busy work. This is important work, right? Very important work. Look at verse 13, heads of families. So there were people needed for actually family ministry, okay? So these are not necessarily just the leaders of the families. These are people who had had families, and what could they do then? They could help other people when they had problems in their families. I was walking down to, to here to, uh, to church today, and someone said, I'm having a problem with my family. So I prayed with them, gave them some ideas. I went to a meeting across the, uh, the campus, and could someone greet this man coming in uh, uh, and sit with him? Anyway, I went to a meeting across the campus with this very man walking in right now, and he was sharing with me, you know, a a challenge himself and some others in that meeting. And I said, well, look, here's some ideas on how to help in that family situation. And how many think we need people like that that are visiting with people and helping them through the trials in their families? How many think we need that? How many of you have ever needed that yourself? Like, you know, my 
my, my son is getting on my last nerve. What do I do? Now, this would not be my children, of course. No. It would not be James or Donnie. Now, they might get on each other's nerves, but they don't get on my nerves that much. So <laughs> to work through that, right? Or wait a minute. How do I? Anyway, you understand. So there was this group of people that would do counseling. They would help other people. This was family ministry. Then, in verse 14, mighty men of valor. These are the kind of people that, man, they got to step in there. It's kind of a complicated situation. How many of you have ever been in just a very complicated situation and you needed a mighty man of valor to help you out of that situation? Nobody? Prayer warrior? Someone like this? Man, I, I'm trying to think of an illustration, but if I come up with a bad illustration, it'll wreck the whole sermon, so I'm going to be careful. But mighty men of valor are needed today, just as they were back then. And then it says, verse 15, Levites. <clears throat> These are not people that wore Levi jeans, but the people that were descendants of the Levites came up with the Levi jeans. Did you know that? And they are actually, the Levites came, uh, they were first produced Levi jeans in 1844. You maybe don't know that. Probably know other things that happened in 1844, but not that. And they were, came up around that time, and they really got popular during the gold rush. They needed a, a type of material that would not just wear down, that could be durable. Levites. Now, why were Levites needed back then? Well, Levites were willing to confront the drift that came to the children of Israel. They one time got so confused, they started worshiping a golden calf instead of God. And God said, that was not good. We need to actually deal with those people in a very stern manner. Nobody wanted to do it, but guess who did it? Levites. Do we need people today in the church and in society that will stand up when things are going the wrong way? Amen. And that's the whole idea. They're willing to confront the mission drift. And they're really to say, look, we're not golden going golden cafe. We're going God's way. Number eight, needed those who are in charge, it says of verse 16, the outside work of the house of God. <laughs> I'm even thankful for our deacons here. Not so many. How many of you are thankful for our deacons here? And they're doing work outside and inside and they're always working. They're always doing something. Uh, this morning, someone was here at the service, and they said, Pastor Don, can I talk to you? I said, you are already talking to me. Did you want to be more specific? They said, yes. What is it that would, would take for me to be able to replace the sign outside the men's bathroom? I said, this would not take an act of Congress or even the church board. Go ahead and replace it. It's chipped. It looks terrible. It is not. Now you're going to all go look at it. Right? It's not. It's not respectful to the house of God. I was like, look at that. That's the spirit. Someone that's looking for those details wants to make things look good. Amen? Amen. Verse 9. It needs someone to lead the music. Mataniah. And notice what he did, um, Andreas. He led in thanksgiving and prayer. He was the great-grandfather of Asaph. Asaph was the one who wrote most of the hymns. When you look him up, and when you look them up in Chronicles, it's very interesting in Chronicles. They didn't take this lightly. There's a guy named Heman and Jeduthun 
who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Like they always had that special music every week. There's He-Man. Hey, give thanks to the Lord for his love and mercy endures forever. You had to have that special number every week. How many think we need to be reminded that God's love and mercy endures forever and ever? And how many want to put a He-Man in charge of that, right? His name's He-Man and Jaduthan. We have Andreas and Rick Garcia. These guys leading music, right? That was great music last week, by the way. And we need to sing those songs like Amazing Grace, right? Oh, love that will not let me go. These kind of songs help us because we're prone to negative thoughts. How many of you are prone to negative thoughts? We're prone to not being grateful. We need to come to a place where people are grateful. And then if we're not grateful that week, it kind of balances out. Amen? That's the whole idea. And then finally, verse 19. It needed gatekeepers. What were the gates again? The sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, fountain gate. Right? Remember all the gates? And this was the complete plan of salvation. And look, some people can come in your gates and volunteer that are not true gatekeepers. That's why you need a gatekeeper. Some people have bizarre ideas concerning salvation. Is this true or false? And if you actually adopt those, you're going to have no assurance, you're going to have no peace, or you're not going to have any um, rebuke if you're doing things wrong. You know, like if you're a double-minded little girl or boy, like we heard in our children's story. you got to have Sharonette to cast that net around you and bring you back in. So you need people that are gatekeepers, right? And they, 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 there are men of the world, this is a quote, manuscript, 1890, who will volunteer to be our guides. They regard their counsel as wise, but their tendencies and actions are evil. Why so? They divert the attention from the very work to be done in this period of the world's history. So you can have a good person that's actually leading you the wrong way. The present truth is what we need to talk about. Not the truth, the present truth. And I believe the present truth for this time is that Jesus is about to come and we need to get people aware of that and help them through the trials they are in their life. Amen? We need to get people inside the city. How many think we need to get people inside the city? That's the whole idea. And uh, speaking of young people, he says this, Christ calls for young men who will volunteer to carry the truth to the world. Men of spiritual stamina are wanted men who are able to find work close at hand because they're looking for it. Sounds a lot like TCI and Bible studies to me. Can you say amen? They don't need to be said, oh, let me show you the work. No, they can find it. How many want to be someone that finds work to do, finds people to study with, finds people to bring to the Lord, finds people that need help? You know? The church needs to give new energy to the ranks, men for the times, able to cope with its errors, men who will inspire with fresh zeal the flagging efforts of the few laborers, men whose hearts are warm with Christian love and are eager to go about the master's business. And we're not to look forward to some time when the school term closes to do some work, study how they can commence practical working in the student life by yoking up with Christ. Why is this so important? 
Because the, the church is not just for information. It's not for information. It's for transformation. Not just information. Transformation. Right? Did you come to church today for information? Or did you come for transformation? Transformation. Yes? That's why I came today. So, just to review. God has a, he has a city. He wants you to populate. How many want to go to that city? He has rules. It has regulations. It has requirements that are meant, when rightly understood, to bring liberty and happiness and exquisite joy. How many of you are okay with the rules? It's going to take hard work to get there. He has all kinds of jobs. How many want to enter into the work? I don't hear as many amens. How many want to enter into the work? A couple of weeks ago, I was watching this documentary on Ernst Shackleton, the person who navigated one of the poles, with, and, he, and he knew it was going to be hard. He knew it was going to be a very dangerous trip, so he sends out an ad saying, this is going to be a terrible ordeal. People might lose their lives. They might not eat for weeks. They may never see their children again, and this and that. And this is what we're trying to do. And guess what happened? Thousands of people signed up. Our problem is not with too, with, with, uh, too many requirements, folks. It's with too few. Our problem is not with setting the ball um, too high. It's with setting the ball too low. And if we forget that, then we kind of lose our focus. God asks you, when he bids a man come and follow him, he, he bids him come and die. He says, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. How many of you want that kind of a challenge and want to respond to that kind of challenge? And this is the idea. This is what he wants. A city, if you might say, on earth that's like that. The church that's like that. Looking forward to what? A new Jerusalem. Now, I want to I saved the, actually, the, 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 I think the best point from Nehemiah 11 to the last today. Okay? So let me show it to you here. One final point in today's message. First, he's got a city. Secondly, he's got rules. Three, entering the city doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, lazing around. You have actual work that's valid and vital to do. But finally, our fourth and final point. Entrance into the city, being called to enter into the city, was not based on who you were or what you had done or your pedigree, but based rather on who God was and what he wanted to done and what he would do in you. Now that seems like a small point, but I think that's a very important point. That's a very important point. And let me show it to you in the text. Verse 4. In Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and the children of Benjamin, and I'm sorry that we asked you to read all those big names. I thought I would only put verse 1 and 2. But how many think he did just a great job anyway? Thank you for that. Ron, where is Ron? Ron. Ron, you know, someone texted me. They said, who is that man in the green sweater? And I said, that's Ron, the electrician. He goes, tell him hi. That was Jim. So he said, tell you hi. Uh, he probably is texting me again right now because I said that. I'm just to see if he's going to say something else to you. I'll just, I'll let you know here in real time. So... Look at this. It says there's, uh, there's, there's people from Judah 
and Benjamin. Now, not, not pick, you might not pick up on what that means until you read through that list that Ron read through and you come down to the sons of Perez who dwelt in Jerusalem, 468 valiant men. What does that mean? Well, Judah had a relative named Perez. And Perez was the son of Tamar who had been impregnated by Judah who thought she was a prostitute. How many think this is a very bad story? It doesn't look good for the church. Here I have Judah, and he's out traveling, and he sees someone he thinks is a prostitute at the entrance of a city. It's not a prostitute. It's Tamar who's trying to get some, some, something back she had lost through the death of her husband. And, uh, and, and so she seduces him, he sleeps with her and has Perez. What? How can this be included in the city? <laughs> How many of you are getting the point? What? How can that happen? I mean, don't we really judge people for what they, not only they did, but what their parents did? Don't we judge people because, well, you know, that family, oh, 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 you heard about the Perez, didn't you hear about that? But no, this zero becomes a hero in the city of God. And the thing that made him a hero was not who he was, not what he had done, what his parents had done, but what God could do in his life. How many say hallelujah to that? So when God calls you to be a part of the city, it's not because you're perfect, it's because he's perfect. And it's because he will perfect you. He will begin a good work and complete it. You know, you're predestined to salvation, not damnation. You know that? Before you're even <laughs> aware of it, he works on your behalf. And that's everybody. He works on your behalf while you're an enemy, while you're ungodly, while you're Perez. And then if you just choose him, he says, look, I want you to voluntarily choose. I've cast my lot for all of you. I want the whole lot of you. And he says, no, 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 okay, I'm going to accept that. And when you accept that, then he begins to work in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. If you don't resist, you're drawn to him. How many say hallelujah to that? So that's picture number one of this point. But picture number two was the Benjamites. What about the Benjamites? Well, this tribe also did not have the best track record. If you want to know about the track record of Benjamin, by the way, you want to read the story about Perez, just read Genesis 38 later today. If you want to read about Benjamin, just read the book of Judges. It details the sad history, how this tribe fell into sexual sin, including homosexuality. It was a terrible disgrace, disgrace and known as an abomination and a blot in Israel's historical record. And yet, here they are listed as a part of the holy city? <laughs> Again, it's not because of that that they're listed. It's because they said, okay, yeah, we did that, but we're now choosing to accept your invitation to be a part of the holy city. And God starts to work in their lives. And he starts to change them and bring them about. In fact, you get into the New Testament. And do you know anyone in the New Testament who was a Benjamite? Who did negative things? 
who had negative thoughts and actions and attitudes? Who was of the tribe of Benjamin in the New Testament? Most prominent person in the New Testament, he wrote most of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he actually says, I was chief of sinners. He would wake up in the morning and kill like 10, 15 Christians before breakfast. And he would send letters to, to do negative things to other people. He thought negatively against Christ. Christ said, wait a minute, I see this man, a Benjamite, and I want him just like I want anybody and everybody in my kingdom. So he calls him from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you going against me? Don't you understand it's me? And what does, what does Saul say? He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He accepts the call. What do you want me to do? He goes, go to the street called Straight. You're going to find a man who will straighten you out, right? And, and I'll send you to this church, the one you were persecuted, you're going to become the person that now promotes. And Paul's life is completely changed. And he's from the tribe of what? Benjamin. So I don't care how bad your life has been. <laughs> and by the way, some of us think our life was not that bad. And those are the people to really be worried about. The people that think their life was not that bad. These are probably the worst people you're going to meet. I've got to read this. I posted this on my Facebook page. Sorry, I've got to look it up here. Here it is. This was a Spurgeon quote. You've got to just hear this. <laughs> because sometimes we get so full of ourselves when we should be so full of Jesus. You know, listen to this. Here it is. This is Spurgeon. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> How many think that's a true statement? And that's what Paul said. He says, I'm chief of sinners. I have nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I'm nobody. I have nothing, none of my works None of my thoughts about my works, none of my good intentions, not even the good things I did prefer me. They only illustrate what you did in me. And so it's all about you. It's all about you. How many can say hallelujah to that? And that's the point of Nehemiah chapter 11. So the lessons we've learned from Nehemiah chapter 11, God has a city he desires to populate, and he has chosen you to be a part of that city. He has cast his lot for you. How many of you want to respond to that invitation? Number two, the city has rules. It has regulations. It has requirements. He wants to write his law in your heart and in your mind. But that is not a law of bondage. It's a law of liberty. How many of you desire him to write his law in your heart and mind? Number three, entering the city doesn't mean you're entering a place of passive pleasure. The city is a place of purposeful work and witness, and that work and witness doesn't begin then, it begins now. How many want to begin working and witnessing for him now? Now. I want to be involved in active service. Do you need any more deacons, Tom? Do you need any more people to help?
Do we need any other people here helping? How many of you are willing to help, whatever it is, whatever it is? How many of you, I guess, are not willing to help, whatever it is? You ought to be raising your hands, or at least your hearts. You see that? That's the point. He has a lot of work to do. And number four, God can use anyone who answers his invitation. If you're Perez, he can use you. If you're a Benjamite, he can use you. If you're a prodigal, he can use you, but you got to get home. Get in the city. <laughs> you might have wandered far from home. Come home. Amen? Do you desire to answer his call today? What a powerful message Nehemiah 11 brings us. He desires service, but only what kind of service? Willing voluntary service. He front loads it, so we know what that means. And, uh, but then, it's so powerful, you know. He calls you, he enables you, he says, I will walk in you. <laughs> How many want him to walk in you? That's the whole idea. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.